Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name's Chris Bouguet, and guess who I'm sitting next to right now in the Minneapolis airport? It's... It's Rachel Madel, and literally we're right next to each other. This never happens. <laughs> right. In person, live, in the flesh. I'm looking at you like your real face. Yes. Like not through a Zoom This camera. face is real, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, so you might hear a little bit of background noise. Our audio might be a little bit different for this particular portion of the episode uh, because we're, at, we're sitting literally together at the Minneapolis airport. Why are we together? We were just uh, presenting, actually, Chris, across two days. We were we're in Pat- at Patton's in Indiana. Yeah, and what were we presenting on? Together? Nothing. <laughs> with Without each other, we were presenting on, I presented AAC Ally, and I also presented with Alyssa Wern all about screen recording tools and how to use those in your clinical practice. Hmm, tell me something about that. I, I, I couldn't go because I was presenting at the exact same time, like two doors down on something totally different, but how did it go with Alyssa Wern? Alyssa Wern, occupational therapist, well-known in the field, actually not on the podcast yet. We've got to get her on the podcast. Literally, I said that to her. I was like, you are coming on the podcast, Alyssa. <laughs> She's like, just let me know when. And I was like, okay, done. Um, but yeah, we had an hour session all about screen recording tools. Many of you guys listening know how much I love screen recording. I love using video. I do a lot of coaching in my practice. And so using screen recording is such a great way to you know help kind of expedite you know, processes and also to do asynchronous learning. Um, so we just talked all about the ways that we use it, gave people ideas. We had a really awesome conversation with the group about ways they used it and everyone was sharing ideas and it was really an amazing session. And I definitely feel like people walked away with some good, you know, tools, technology and strategies to use. And also I came away with some ideas on like, oh, like I never thought to like use it in that capacity, uh, which is the best thing about being in person with people is being able to, you know, have conversations that lead to kind of these ideas and feeding off of each other in a room and sharing our experiences. Screen recording is really practical, right? And so I'm, not, I'm gonna guess here, just going on a limb, I'm, I don't know for sure, you talked a little bit about Loom. Uh, 100% yes. <laughs> I am not a Loom affiliate, but I did talk about Loom because that is my preferred screen recording tool. Um, can I ask, did Alyssa use different tools or was she all Loom too? Or she's like, no, Screencast-O-Matic or Screencastify or... She actually did a really good job of explaining how in her practice she uses different tools for different students and different reasons. Um, I kind of just ubiquitously use Loom because that's what I'm familiar with. That's what my team's familiar with. Um, but she actually did a good job of kind of uh, cross comparing all three, Screencast-O-Matic, Screencastify, and Loom, and had a really amazing visual that she shared. And so she's, she seems to use all of them in different capacities depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. And then, so that was that session, but then later on in the day, you did AAC Ally. So how did that go? AAC Ally was great. I did not have time to present the full course. So the full course is three hours, but I did an abbreviated AAC Ally, and we had a really amazing discussion all about AAC assessment um, and just opened it up to the audience. They shared a lot of questions, and we had some really rich conversations about what are we thinking about when we're thinking about the selection process? How can we get teams on board? Which is the whole point, uh, you know, of the course was, you know, figuring out how to have a team-based approach to the selection process. Um, so yeah, it was really great. Uh, my only regret was that I didn't have enough time to share all the ideas and all the things. Um, and also I had to run literally immediately out because you and I had to catch a very uh, tight, uh, a tight flight to 
Minnesota. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, conference, it was your first time at the Access to Ed conference in Indianapolis. Um, any other takeaways, any other insights, any other experiences that you want to share? I mean, I think that it's just, it, what was really nice was that it was really manageable. I feel like sometimes these conferences get real intense because it's like, 20 different strands and all of these huge, you know, places that you have to navigate. And I, I felt like it was just, it was really manageable and also just like really awesome people. I feel like the people were amazing as always and just making connections with new people, lots of people that I hadn't met who came up and introduced themselves. A lot of podcast listeners came up and said hi. For sure. And so it was just like so nice to actually connect with people in person, you know, hear about what people are doing in their neck of the woods. And I feel like it's always great when we can kind of have opportunities to collaborate with people because we're in this kind of silo in assistive technology or AAC where we're not really around a lot of other people that do the work that we do. Um, and so just being able to bounce ideas off of each other and just listen to other people's experiences was just super valuable. That is certainly, I know you and I both took the same strategy of at lunch going and sitting at tables with different people that we didn't know. And that's certainly feedback that I was hearing from people is that um, in rural parts of Indiana, uh, where this, where this, most of the people at this conference were from Indiana were like, yeah, I'm isolated. I'm up by myself, right? Mm -hmm. And so this was a chance for them to connect, get to meet people, and then walk away with some really awesome ideas, right? Yeah, absolutely. I had a great time. Chris, tell us what you presented on. And I'm so mad because one of your presentations is my favorite, and I wasn't able to attend because I was busy presenting in the room next door. <laughs> Um, okay, well, I actually had four presentations. Um, I have been coming to this conference for years and years and years now, um, and it's one of my favorite conferences. So let's see. The first session was, you know, I do this session. I did it at ASHA, and actually have done it at this conference before. It was the using AAC and robots, or using robots for AAC, coding with AAC. Um, and... The last time I did it at this conference, four people showed up, and I ended up saying, hey, why don't we record a podcast episode? If you go way back in the archives, everybody, you can listen to that recording where we talk about using AAC and robots together. Kelly Foner was on that. Darla Ashton was on it, who actually came back to the, was uh, in one of my sessions uh, during the conference now. So, um, so yeah, so that was that session. Many more people came this time, uh, probably close to 20, and we had robots for them to play with and realized that it wasn't so hard and that, oh my gosh, there's a lots of connections here to teaching language, so a lot of big takeaways. Um, I was also really excited that there was two people that said they came to the conference to see that session. They like, we saw that you were teaching about robots and we wanted to come to learn specifically about that. And what was great, this particular conference often features, well, a lot of the people you know are SLPs, OTs, PTs, uh, a lot of people that work in related services or special education. These were two computer science teachers wow. that wanted to be more inclusive. And kind of, so it was really exciting. Uh, shout out to them. Then uh, after that, I did the wonderfully inclusive scavenger hunt with the Inclusive 365 team. And what that was, was a, just what it sounds like. It was a scavenger hunt. You go off and you do some, uh, try and achieve some uh, different items, either creating something or making something or finding something and posting something. Uh, we had a whole list of items that are featured strategies to help you design and think more inclusively. And some of them are one-point strategies, two-point strategies, and three-point strategies. Clearly stuff that is, like, listen to one of the Talking With Tech episodes is one of the one-point strategies. Um, and 
a three point, we'd be like, make this video sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So that was also super fun, where, again, lots of people talking about what does inclusion mean to them and creating things. And we have a whole list of artifacts that now people have made and submitted through a Google form. So, and of course, the 365 crew are fun to work with. So that was all great. Then the next one after that was um, the next day. Again, we were presenting opposite each other. When you were doing the screen recording one, I was doing something I call uh, seven up, seven ways to enhance your AEC implementation. So bad thing is lots of conversation. It's good we had lots of conversation. We only got through two of the seven. <laughs> two uh, out of seven. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a great score. <laughs> no. One was, so people are like, well, what are the seven, Chris? What were they? Um, I'll just give you the two right now, yeah, which is the ones that we talked about were the specific language system first approach. But a lot of people were, they had not heard of that before. So, but some people had come and said, can you specifically tell us more about this? Um, so that was great. A lot of rich discussion around that. And then the second one was when you take a morpheme and you mix it with a core word, core words plus morphemes are? Core themes. Core themes. So, so, and that was uh, Darla. Again, I meant ref reference her now a couple times. She was like, she literally was like, put her heads up, her hands up to her temples and was like, mind blown. Like, right. We are focusing on the root word uh, so often. I'm not practicing plural S, I-N-G, past tense, E-D. Um, but shouldn't we? Like, if we're expecting that someday, couldn't we be putting, shouldn't we be putting those drops in the bucket for those as well? And we'd brainstorm strategies about how you would do that. Like, maybe introduce the root word on a Monday, on Tuesday, say, how would you use that in I-N-G? What's the plural on Wednesday? Things like that. Choosing materials that, you know, okay, well, it's not just going to have go. Where Let me look for a book that has going. And if you can't find a book that has going, make one, right? On Tar Heel Reader or something. Or Canva. Or Canva, exactly. Uh, or any or Google Slides or whatever you want to make it in, whatever tool you have access to, make it. Um, so that was super fun. And then we ran out of time because that was the whole hour. Um, and then the last thing was Cards Against Exclusivity, which is always a blast. The patents people uh, were my, instead of you being, because you were taken. I was so upset. Um, being one of the celebrity <laughs> judges, the patents people came and they were the celebrity judges. And that was a super fun experience where people get the cards and they match the cards. They match the items from the cards to different scenarios I have on the screen. And we have rich discussions about what these strategies are and what these tools are. and. Um, and people were writing down, like, oh my gosh, there's so many resources here. So again, it was a blast. We did have to, <laughs> I had to run out of there. I'm like, I have to leave early because we had to get there. Shout out to our taxi drivers, um, Sandy and Courtney, um, who, Courtney, super fans of the yes. podcast. Courtney actually has a Talking With Tech t-shirt. And my thought, my response was, Wait, I guess we do sell them online. Yes. <laughs> right. Send us a selfie, Courtney. We want to see you in your T-shirt. Yes. Yeah. Fun fact, we don't actually make any money off of those. It's no, a, it's a net, net loss. Um, but you can check them out at the talkingwithtech.org. There's a, there's a link to a store, right? Yeah, it's a Zazzle store. So, yeah, check it out. So, super fun time at the conference. Uh, hope this audio works out for you. Sorry, there might be a little bit of background noise. Um, but we're excited. We're excited to go to Brainerd. Yeah, we have a full day of 
talking all things AAC tomorrow, and uh, I'm really excited, Chris. Like, we, I love when we get to present this course together, and, you know, I definitely need a good night's sleep tonight because I feel like the conference life is hard and arduous, but also fun and super exciting and inspiring. There's one other thing I want to say about the conference, yeah. and that is um, being back in person. This was the first time the this Access to Ed conference was back in person. Last time it was virtual. We presented last year virtually mm -hmm. together. Um, a part that you miss of being in person is the conversations after the sessions, right? The, the um, I snuck into your and Sarah Gregory had shared a room together and we had conversations about what did you learn today and what did you, you know, those sorts of things. It's hard to do that through video conferencing, you know? Uh, you can text message little things, but it's not the same as like having the conversations with people, uh, walking from one session to the next session as shoulder buddies and going, hey, what did you, what do you think, you know? Um, and I feel like that was a, uh, a really rich part of having these sorts of experiences. Yeah, and I feel like there's kind of like an integration that happens when you actually are able to talk about something and have that rich discussion after. Because oftentimes we have a takeaway and then someone shares an idea and then it kind of like solidifies that or broadens that perspective. And so I feel like it's just nice to be able to kind of you know, download with someone else and then talk through all these things. Yeah. We don't have those opportunities often. Yeah. You can kind of sit in it a little bit longer and then bring it back up. What did you learn in this session? Uh, there's that old phenomenon, right? Like you go through a door, let's say like, and you lose whatever your, your memory, like you, what's it called? Were you, you ever heard of this? You know what I'm talking about? I have no idea what you're, you're talking You're looking about. at me you're like, what are you talking about, Chris? <laughs> what is he talking about? So there's this phenomenon that happens where when you're trying to remember something from the, an experience and then you go through a door that you forget what the previous thing was. Like, um, so you're sitting in your car after work, you pull into your driveway or garage or whatever, and you're like, oh, right, the dry cleaning. I got to remember to go get that. And then you get out of your car and you go through the garage door and you go into the kitchen or wherever you get, leads into your house or your home and suddenly you're like on to the next thing, dinner. right? At dinner, right? Dinner. And all of a sudden it's nine o'clock at night. And you're, oh my gosh, the, 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 the dry, dry cleaning, cleaning, right? Because you went through the portal and you went from one environment to the next. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying here at this conference or in a Zoom or um, video conferencing sort of thing is the webinar ends, the session ends, that you, you move through a virtual portal or that you turn the thing off and you don't sit in it. You don't have a conversation about it. You don't reflect on it like you do in an in-person, walking next to somebody, having a rich conversation with them. Totally, totally. I love in-person events. Also love being in person with you, Chris. Yeah, it's going to be fun tomorrow. It was fun being in this conference together. I know. We also took our first airplane ride together, you guys. Yeah, but a guy <laughs> sat between us. What's up with that? How rude. <laughs> he knew we were together. I know. <laughs> we're so mad about it. <laughs> we're going to get over it. We're going to be on a little tiny, tiny plane going to Brainerd soon. So yes. we'll be next to each other. So let me tell you about the interview today. So this interview is with Brian Schnabel. And Brian reached out to me. He was taking or he's in a... Uh, uh, taking a course on, I think he's in a graduate program, I think, where any one of the parts of the graduate program, I think it's about assistive technology. And uh, he said one of the things he had to do was interview somebody around assistive technology. And so he reached out to me and we chatted and then it turned into a rich discussion about transition. Um, and so this is this conversation all about transition. And actually, you're going to hear some more because, um, well, I'll just let him talk about it because he talks a little bit about um, uh, reading disabilities. And so we go into 
I don't know, some really different and interesting stuff here. So let's head into the interview that Chris did with Brian Schnabel. We'd like to thank all of the wonderful Patreon supporters who make this show possible. This podcast is funded by listeners just like you who've signed up at patreon.com backslash talking with tech to show their support. Because of the generosity of our amazing Patreon community, we're able to pay Luke and Michaela, our podcast producer and audio engineer, who keep the show looking and sounding great. Patreon supporters also receive bonus content, such as early access to interviews, behind-the-scenes recordings, additional curated resources and materials, and so much more. Check it out at patreon.com backslash talking with tech. All right, Brian. Well, uh, welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. But I guess this is really your show, Brian, because you asked me to to come on and participate. So tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how this all gets got started. So I'm a district resource teacher for Transition, and I, I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I support Transition services across my whole district in regards to employment, post-secondary education, flash training, and independent living. And so right now I'm working on my master's in this area. I, uh, I currently go to the University of Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm doing the endorsement program there, which leads to a master's program. Oh, fantastic. I Clearly remotely, right? It's a long commute from Albuquerque to Boston. Definitely a long <laughs> commute. And so it's all virtual, yes. <laughs> uh, are you enjoying it so far? Yeah, this is my second year. And um, this is my... One, two, three, four, fourth semester. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what about working at, in the area of transition? Have you been doing that for a while? Oh, yeah. I've been doing this for a long time. So I started off as a transition teacher, and I did that for about seven years. And then I went and left uh, and went to the university and worked for the, the USET there, which is the Center for Development and Disability out of the University of New Mexico. And I worked on a team supporting transition across the state in regards to employment. And then I left and came back to the Albuquerque public schools and took on the role that I'm in now. And I've been doing this now, this will be my fourth year. Gotcha. And so now the reason you're reaching out to me is because it's related to your master's. Yes. So I had to do a topical paper and I had to reach out to some expert in the field of the topic that I chose And the topic I chose was technology and accommodation. And the one person that popped in my mind was you in regards to your book, especially that I did the book reading with you a couple of years back during during our lockdown of COVID. (laughs) Right. You did that through. What was that through? Because that was out of Washington, Washington. Right. Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) So my virtual presence, I try to get out there and try to really see what's going on. From coast to coast. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, I'll do my best. Um, I mean, certainly I have some experience with the technology and and uh, transition is a place that I always want to spend more time on. Uh, there's um, there's a guy that I work with, Brian, his name's John. And John is was a former transition teacher before he came on to the team that, that I currently work with. And he is 
we've been working with transition for 25 years uh, on our assistive technology team, but he's the first person that that was his job before he came to the team. And he's constantly whispering, yeah, but where are we going with this, Chris? Where are we going with like when they leave, where what are they doing with this? And we have to be working closer with our, uh, our, even closer. I mean, we're always working closely, but how can we work even closer? Is um is sort of his uh, his mantra in my ear, and it's like, yes, you're right, John. You're right, right. We got to keep that because we you don't want to lose sight of it, right? Like, where are we going? Where where are we headed afterwards uh, after school? Exactly. And I mean, like for me, this is even more personal because I have a disability myself, and I use assistive technology. I've used it like in the college setting when I was getting my bachelor's degree. And then now that I've been employed for many years now as a teacher, I've used it as an ADA accommodation to support myself in my everyday work from writing IEPs to reading whatever I need to read. Do you mind if I ask what kind of technology are you using? Um, So I use a variety of different things. I was like the one that I lean on the most was Kurzweil 3000. And another uh, text-to-speech software program. But uh, I I recently just switched my Mac from Mac to PC. And my district is slowly but surely going to get rid of all Macs. And so the Kurzweil that I had was running on Mac. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm on a PC and I had to like scatter to find things. And we were having a hard time finding a vendor who worked with my district. And so ultimately I've switched over to something called uh, Read Write Gold or Read Write Out Loud, whatever they keep, they keep changing their name and they just got bought out by somebody else. So I keep, can't keep track. <laughs> well, actually I think, okay, so um, I'm very familiar with that company. I think that company is called Text Help. And what you're talking about is the the PC version is Read and Write for Google Chrome or Read and Write for Windows, or sorry, I guess it's yes. Read and Write for Windows. And then there's Read and Write for Google Chrome, which works in Chrome. Our school district actually works with that company and we have that uh, that software for every single student in our district. So um, very familiar with that. And I think you're in good hands. I mean, they in fact bought out um, and partnered with Don Johnston. So they're there yes. was, you know, those were the two big, I think, think of like the Coke and Pepsi of the, of, of the software that does what they do. They have yeah. now merged together um, with Kurzweil coming in right there under, um, you know, as a, as a third in that horse race, I think, you know, so I think you're in good hands. Like, I mean, have you, any, how long you've been using it and what's your experience been like so far? It's been okay. I, I mean, um, I used it at the university before when I left APS Mm-hmm. And um, the the university was already embracing it for their ADA accommodations for students, but they also were giving access to staff at the university too who needed that accommodation. So I've already had experience from that level. And then when I came back to the district, I was kind of using another program too, which you mentioned, Snap and Read mm-hmm. under Doc Johnson. And so it's like... I've always just kind of played with all of them just to make sure I was aware of how they work. And depending on the situation, if one didn't work for me, I could switch to another. And I always had a plan B, a plan C or a plan D, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that makes total sense to me that um, you could flip around and use different tools. And I could even see maybe different times where you're like, well, I know Snap and Read has this awesome outline feature. So I want for this particular task, I want to use the outline feature. But read and write, may I text just read out loud? I'll go to hit the play button. It's super fast. It's right there. 
you know, I could see different uses cases. And so why not have the, if you, if, if you could have the different tools and play with them, why not? Yep. Right. Yeah. And I've embraced Google to the point of no return now because of my district. And so uh, even now, like I write like all of my papers and all every assignment, I use Google something, we'll say mm -hmm. it like that. And because of how it's integrated into Chrome, I just use everything that's in Chrome most of the time when I'm doing that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Like the different Chrome extensions and things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And are you using, just guessing here, are you using voice typing that's in the Google Docs sometimes or not so much? I use the Google, I, I do use that at times. But then like sometimes I also use, I have another plugin that does uh, voice to text output. Mm -hmm. And so I use that sometimes too. It just kind of depends on the moment yeah. and what I'm doing and how it's working. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, it makes sense. And it's what we, it's, it's certainly what we try and teach the kids is like, okay, when you are, you are faced with whatever sort of task that's in front of you, go through an inventory of what tools you have available to you and then choose the tool that you think will work best. And then when you're done, reflect on it. Oh man, that was really hard. Oh, I don't really like that. It was, oh, okay, let's go look for something else. Or what could you do to make it better? Why didn't it work for you? You know? Um, so I think that's the, that's the, the circle of life here is like, think through the, the task, then um, pick the right tool that you think is the right tool and then reflect on it to, to do it better next time. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting sometimes why something is the right tool. Like I got really spoiled with different voices. And so <laughs> certain voices I could pay attention to better than other voices. And so like now that the voices that I really like, I don't have access to, I've kind of figured out which ones I like now in these other programs and I'm using them for that purpose too. Yeah. Doesn't that make sense? Like, and, and like everybody has their preferences, right? And so often with students, we don't give them those choices. So you're stuck with the terrible voice that you don't like, like how frustrating right. would that be for you? Right. So, but giving people the choice of the voices they'd like, and then pick the one you want or the speed you want and make it yours. And people don't realize this with, this really comes into play a lot. Um, Brian, when uh, we talk about standardized testing um, or testing in general, because a lot of times, the like read and write for Google Chrome might be locked out of a browser. In fact, I just had this is top of my mind because I'm emails today were about this. Um, how we might lock students into a testing scenario so they can't have access to their assistive technology. You know, let's say the read and write for Google Chrome or Snap and Read or whatever they're used to. And someone might say, yeah, but that's no big deal because it's built into the test. There's a play button and you can listen to it. Yeah, but it's not the same. It's not my play button, right? It's not my voice. It's not the one I chose. It's not the one I like. It's just some generic, ugh, you know, there's not all the customization options usually. And it's not the one I've been practicing on, you know, it's sort of like taking your driver's test in someone else's car when you've been practicing in your car, you know, you could do it. It's okay, but it's not perfect. It's not right. And then you put yep. the, 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 the stakes of having a, a test on top of it, the test anxiety and all the, what well, am I going to get this right? You know, just give you the tools so you can take the test using the tool, using, um, uh, using the one that you like, you know? Yep. Well, I mean, that's even the problem I'm having right now, switching from a Mac to a PC and windows base it's like driving from going from automatic to standard. And it's like, yes, I know I can drive a standard. Do I like driving a standard? No, but I'm being forced to. Yeah. So I'm having to re 
practice how to drive almost in a sense now that I switch over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you'll get there, but uh, it's just work to get there, you know, maybe on unnecessary work because you didn't get to make the choice, right? Someone else said, you're not using, we're phasing out max. So now you're beholden to somebody else's choice. And I yeah. get it. And the only I mean, thing I could do, like I even talked to my, my, my supervisor about it and I told her, I said, I'm struggling like technology wise right now, it's going to be a while before I'm back up to a hundred percent par. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I understand. And she understands, like I've, I've disclosed my disability. We've talked about my accommodations, both with my supervisor, but also with the district mandated people. And it, it, it's night and day though. It's hard for people to really grasp all the intricacies of this and advocating for oneself in this way is very awkward when you're dealing with something from a district level who are way above me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're in that position now where you have to um, advocate and say, but this is why I need this. And that's, it's extra time. It's extra stress. It's extra. Instead of just being like, what do you need? How can we support you? You know, and again, yeah. you know, I don't know your district and I'm certainly not slamming them. I'm sure there's reasons why they have what they have. Oftentimes what I find is there's a conflict between flexibility and security. You know, if we could just, we got to keep it all locked down. If we have it locked down, uh, we, it's better if we have one platform. If you've got two platforms, now there's there's a chance that someone might hack in because we have more resources go to. So I see that side of it too. Uh, but still, um, it, it seems like there might be a happy ground of, of, of trying to find something that's flexible for the individual employee. Yeah, most definitely. All right. Well, okay. So we went off on a tangent, but a good one, I think. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. What about transition? How can I help? So uh, the first question I kind of have is, how do you see the role of technology in the area of accommodation? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a great question. So um, first, let's talk about accommodations. So accommodations would be like in a school environment, what's listed on the IEP as something that somebody absolutely needs to guarantee a free appropriate public education. So in that case, technology would be uh, listed on the accommodations page of an IEP. Uh, then beyond that, it's like, here's the sort of the standard thing that is that everyone's doing. What, what do you need to be able to participate or do that standard thing? So in an education sense, uh, I think many years ago, the way Chris Bugay would have answered this is tech technology can provide those accommodations. If uh, in the, in the context of what we were just talking about, let's say um, here's this worksheet and um, most kids maybe can handwrite into the worksheet and fill out answers on this worksheet, but some other kids might not have the fine motor ability to, to handwrite or whatever reason they might not be able to handwrite or you can't, it's really hard to hit a worksheet, hit a play button and have that text read out loud on that piece of paper, right? Again, speaking of, you know, read and write for Google Chrome and snap and read and the text to speech. So there's this thought of, okay, well, let's give something in a digital version with text to speech as an accommodation so you can fill out the worksheet. Again, that's what Chris Bouguet would have told you 15 years ago. But now where I am is, you could still provide that paper-based worksheet for the kids that would like to handwrite it and use that, but why not make that just one option? So that's an option for some kids, but the others have it digital. And you can, uh, if, if you don't actually need to, to, to type out the answer, could you voice record the worksheet? Could you, um, could you type into the worksheet? Could you use voice dictation in the worksheet? And that's still not the answer Chris Bouguet would give you because now what I'm gonna say is, 
who wants to do a worksheet? <laughs> like that's not going to drive the love of learning, right? So uh, yes, we want to practice those things, but I think the power of technology when it comes to accommodations is that the technology can be used to provide all sorts of options so that you don't have not you don't have to force people to do a worksheet. You can say, well, how do you how am I going to represent this content? One way is a worksheet, another way is a video, uh, another way is um uh, you can read it in a book, another way is to listen to it on a podcast, and then how does the kids show back what they know is that they can voice record it, they can uh, do voice dictation, they can type it, they can draw it, they can um they can handwrite it, they can make a video and and so use the technology. Technology opens up all these options to redesign the experience. So nobody, so not everyone has to do it the exact same way. Technology exactly. gives you options, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I see it too, especially because of working in transition. I remember I taught a technology class and I, I, was, I wasn't going to teach just one technology. I literally worked with what they already had. So some of them had laptops of different operating systems. Some of them only had a cell phone. Some of them only had an iPad or an iPhone or whatever it was. And it was like using those tools that they already had in their hand to be as productive as physically possible to be productive in life is the kind of way I looked at it. <laughs> well, you know, in our neck of the woods, we still operate under a bring your own technology or bring your own device initiative, because that's something certainly a lot of places have sort of recognized is that technology, especially today is highly personalized. You know, kids, uh, you said you're moving to Google, right? So your kids are probably getting Chromebooks and stuff like that. What's the first thing they do is set up a theme, put stickers on the back of that Chromebook if it's allowed. They personalize it, you know? It, uh, my wife and I both have iPhones, but there's no way. If she picked up my iPhone, she'd be like, Chris, come on, what do you, what, uh, this, why do you have your apps like this? This is not how it should be designed, you know? Because it's highly personalized. So <laughs> this set of customized way is the way to go as opposed to like a one-size-fits-all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have the same uh, the same situation with my wife. Her phone, she, I, I can't make sense of it. Tails or heads. She's got everything in different folders, and all the folders are labeled. She can't stand mine because it's just a free for all of uh, of apps everywhere. But I know where those apps are. <laughs> yeah, it works for you, and her system works for her. You figured it out, yeah. right? So don't force anybody into a particular system. There you go. So uh, the next question that I have is, what are some common technology accommodations that teachers and others should know about to help students in the areas of employment, post-secondary education slash training, and independent living? Yeah, well, okay. So again, I think the the, the idea here is what's like some of the, the biggest uh, technology features that people need to know about, right? And it's so interesting, Brian, how we started this conversation because oftentimes I'll I'll say this to teachers. I'll be like, teachers, what's one plus one? And they'll be like, two. And I'll be like, what's two plus two? Four. And I go, what's four plus four? Eight. And then I'll say, what's your what's your text to speech tool? You know, and there's crickets because they might not know. Where you would know, it's read and write for Google Chrome. That's my thing, you know. Um, or it used to be Kurzweil, right? Um, so we want teachers to know the their text to speech tool, uh, like the number one that they have available to them, and then what are the other options on top of that? But what What's their tier one available to everybody text-to-speech tool? They should know that like they know those basic math facts because, I mean, clearly, like you use it, right? Well, like why wouldn't we want to have every student have that as available to them? 
Exactly. All right. So I'd say text to speech. The second thing is um, I think from a very young age, what we should be starting to teach uh, students is how to organize a digital calendar. Uh, what sort of events need do I, what sort of memory triggers do I need to put into a digital calendar? In middle school, it happens almost in every middle school. I wonder if it happens in, your, in Albuquerque, but in middle schools around here, orthodontists fund these agenda planners <laughs> and all the middle schools get agenda planners with the orthodontist um, uh, logo on the front cover or in the inside cover. Right. Uh, and it's like, these are these paper-based agendas. And again, please orthodontists fund them, but don't make every kid fill out a paper-based agenda, especially in 2022 when we all use our calendars and to keep events. So calendars and then uh, so, so, but it's still a skill, right. To know like, okay, going to grandma's house on Saturday. That means I won't be uh, like two Saturdays from now, I'm going to my grandma's house. I got to put that on the calendar. So I don't make a plan with my friends to play Fortnite that day. So, or, um, okay. I, even at a very young age, what's going on uh, Saturday, guys, we got uh, soccer practice or something. All right, let's put it on the calendar because that's an event. We need to block it out. And then that same thing translates to school. Okay. It's, let's put in our 20 minutes of reading time at night, you know, it's put into our calendar so that it becomes like uh, not just a habit, but so that students at, realize when they should be putting something on a calendar. Cause that's often a skill that's lost these days um, where teachers have access to digital calendars. So they'll put the assignments up and then students just go check. Um, even some places of employment, they'll be like, I've had these conversations with some students who are like, well, my employer has a calendar. So I don't have to know. I don't have to remember that my shift is coming up on Tuesdays and Thursdays and plug it in. Uh, my employer does that. Yes, but not every employer does that. And you might not work here forever. So you might want to get in the practice of you actually motoring in uh, either with your thumbs or with your voice or whatever. However, you use that digital calendar, put those events in a digital calendar. And then third would be some sort of reminder. You know, um, many people have the voice assistance now. So you can say set a reminder either on your phone or in your, um, uh, you know, you know who I'm talking about. Alexa. Yep. <laughs> I don't want to say it because sometimes it sets people off um, their devices, but that's another idea of having some sort of reminder and the reminders can be again, triggered by time, but on your phone, there's often location-based reminders. So when I get to the store, I don't have to remember where it was getting milk and everything. I, it, it just brings up if I, made my little note, either with my voice or by typing it in, when I get to the store, the location-based reminder pops up and I can use that. So I think those are some of the big ones um, is practicing those sort of executive functioning skills really at an early age uh, where we're teaching kids to make events and think through what needs to be an event and what needs to be a reminder and then text-to-speech for sure. And then of course, the last one, I got to say it, I got to say it every time we talk about it is um, turn the captions on right? Most features, most technology now comes with live captioning. So even if you're sitting quietly, you turn the volume all the way down and you want to watch a video because you don't want to disturb the people around you, you don't have your headphones, there's live captioning and text paired with audio or just text by itself will help you become better readers. So, uh, so always turn the captions on. And I'm glad you mentioned that calendar one, especially. I mean, if it wasn't for that tool, that one tool in my life, both at home and at work, I'd be lost. My calendar thinks for me almost because of my own deficits with executive functioning because of my disability. 
I have the hardest time organizing. And you're right. Like I was forced to fill out like this agenda all through middle school and high school. And it really had no point and no reasoning. It's only until I got out that I actually had to like remember when to go to class because there wasn't a bell or remember, oh, I have to go to work now. It's at this time. And it, was, it wasn't until I had to use a digital calendar of some kind in my phone that it actually started making sense. And now pff, everything, I even, I even advocate for people to send me an invitation. Please send me an invite that guarantees it gets in my calendar and that I'll be there. I'm not ignoring you. I'm not forgetting you. It's just, it, I have a hard time getting it in my own calendar physically. So people send me invites to everything and they just know with Brian, send them in. And it's like a really cool thing now that I've advocated for my own self that it happens. And then I bet that just translates them. Well, why don't I do that? Because it's probably a skill they had to learn. How do I send a calendar invite to somebody? All right, Brian needs me to do this for him. I'll send that to him. But then that's a skill they can use for everybody, right? And including themselves, you know, Brian, can I ask you just a question here? Does your wife and you, do you use the same calendar? Like, is it a shared calendar or do you use your own separate calendars? Well, we have, uh, we've actually shared each other's calendars with, with each other. And mm -hmm. so if we have like, uh shared events like we go we like to go to the theater and stuff like that so we have our shared uh, she sent me invites and i've sent her invites to different things to make sure they're on each other's calendars yeah right that's it's like you're living in our house that's exactly what my wife and i have done and then we have this running joke with my kids who are in middle school and high school is like if it's not in the google calendar then it didn't it doesn't exist like hey i'm going to my friends uh on friday no you're not uh, you can't possibly be because it's not in the google calendar dad come on like but i don't see it in the google calendar it must not exist but it's that's the sort of training that we're talking about is is like put it there so we have this shared resource a lot of people i find brian too i, I will just want to clarify we're saying digital calendar i'm saying digital calendar very uh um, purposefully, because a lot of families and a lot of people have calendars, their paper-based calendar, or they might have that calendar up on the fridge. But the calendar on the fridge means when you're getting, you're at the dentist appointment and they're like, you want to do, you ready to schedule the next one? Now you got to take the card, remember where you put the card, take a picture of the card, maybe lose the card. Then you get back, remember to write it on there. It's a, it's like 10 more steps. But if you just whip out your phone in that moment and put it on that shared calendar, now your wife knows, you know, you don't have to think about it again. It's like one or two steps. Eliminating or de decreasing the number of steps really helps with that executive functioning. So I'm very perfect. And the digital part, you can you don't have to handwrite it in. You can talk it in. You can type yeah. it in. You can use word or protection. text message. I mean, my dentist now, like they've gotten really fancy. They send me a text message after I leave the dentist's office with my next appointment. And it's a link. There's a link that I click on that just adds it automatically to my calendar. Good to go. But it literally is a text message. It's so crazy. It's, <laughs> and it's so great. Like it's so helpful for everybody. It doesn't, you don't have to have a disability. Everybody struggles with organization, right? So just make it something that's sort of standard for everybody. So the next question that I have is how do you see, or what do you see as the greatest challenge with technology accommodations? Well, I, I, this is a great question and I'm going to answer it with um, a phrase that my friend and colleague Karen Janowski taught me and that is twatty. This is the way we've always done it, you know? So 
in the in the example that um, we just gave is these colleagues that are sending you calendar invites, they've never had to do that before, you know? And so it's not until um, someone asked them to do that and th that they learn that new skill. And that same thing happens with, with teachers and students is like, well, okay, I've always, I used a calendar. I used a paper-based agenda. I have the, I, I, I love my sticky notes. I love how it works for me. And so this is the way I've always done it. And therefore this is probably how it works for everybody else and how I know it would, could work for other people. But the tr truth is people are different. So you have to provide them options. Not every, the sticky notes would be horrible for some people because they'd be lost everywhere. You know, what works for you doesn't mean it works for everybody. And just because um, this is the way you've always done it doesn't mean this is the way you always should do it. So I feel like that's the greatest challenge is people sort of stuck in the rut of doing what they ha think have worked for them, thinks that'll work for everybody. That makes perfect sense. And I mean, I'm, I'm, you're, you're speaking to the person who has to make everything work for themselves. <laughs> but I mean, it's only, I, I'd say during COVID that people really started having to use invi the invitation setting in their calendars on almost a consistent basis for work purposes because it was the only way to generate the Google Meet link, or it was the only way to generate the Zoom link. And then ultimately all the Zoom stuff connected to the calendar. Would you like to add this meeting to your calendar? Yes, I would, sure, let's do it. And now it's become like this thing that everyone is kind of recognizing, okay, I'm gonna do it now. Cause it's like, I'm never gonna forget a meeting or, oh, I know that meeting is Zoom or Google Meet because there's a link in the invite. Other than that, a lot of people are even forgetting to put the address and the room numbers of places anymore because it's all Zoom and Google Meet. <laughs> 100%, 100%. I'm also seeing, again, we're bringing it back to a challenge here. For I don't understand the phenomenon, but it's happening. As we get back into in-person learning, we've been back in-person learning for a while now. Um, there seems to be this slip of forgetting about the technology that you learned during the pandemic. There was this huge spike in everybody's technology skills went up. And I don't know why people didn't, if they don't, didn't see the benefits that the way you and I are sort of talking about them right now. But I am certainly feeling that uh, a challenge is, oh, kids are on their screens too much. Therefore, we shouldn't have those Chromebooks out. Well, no, just make it an option for some kids. Some kids really need those screens. You know, they're not using it as a distraction. They're using it as a tool. You know, uh, if they saw you on your phone, Brian, and you're going to you're like, look, I'm using my phone to have the text read out loud or I'm using my phone to type in a calendar. I'm using it functionally. I'm using it for a purpose. It's not a distraction, you know. Yeah, well, and I mean, I have that feeling sometimes when I go into meetings, because I'm going into meetings across my school district, and some of the meetings are with other teachers, some of them are with administrators, some of them are with people way above my level, and I'll have my phone out, and I'm taking notes, right? or I'm using text-to-speech, I'm using whatever it is on my phone to capture what I need to, or taking pictures of the board when they're writing on the board, and on one hand, I like recognize that I'm using what I need, but on another hand, and not to speak ill of people who are older than me, <laughs> but a lot of them don't see me as paying attention because they're not used to that as a way of paying attention because it is a tool, mm -hmm. not something that I'm using as a distraction 
from what's going on because I'm bored or something with the meeting that I'm in. I'm using it as a tool to capture as much data and information as possible in the most effective way. <laughs> yeah, you know what works for you. I, I, I have some fear of this, Brian, because um, there's been some talk. Uh, I've heard some, some teachers and some administrators in administrative meetings say, um, all right, at this meeting, what we're going to do to make sure everyone's paying attention is we're going to say laptops down, phones away. And I'm like, that is like the most ableist thing I've ever heard that you think everyone. And also just, just so you know, just because I'm looking at you, I mean, how many times uh, have I, uh, I love my wife, but there have been times where I've been talking and all of a sudden my mind drifted off to a problem. And I'm like, I'm sorry, honey, you have to, you have to say that again. I, I was looking right at you. I looked like I was listening to you, but I really wasn't listening. So can you repeat that? You know, like, and how often does that happen for students, for me in a meeting, for anybody in a meeting, just because I'm not looking at a screen and I'm looking at you doesn't really mean that I'm attending to you, you know? Well, it comes back down to like that tool, like the calendar. If you don't practice it and give people an opportunity to become proficient with it, then how are they going to truly use it in life? And using technology in a meeting or in a classroom and being able to pay attention not to go to Facebook, not to go to MySpace, not to go to, man, I'm dating myself now when I say that <laughs> one, but uh, I mean, not to go to these uh, social media sites and not to mess around on a video game of some kind and recognize, okay, there's a time and a place to mess around and do that kind of stuff. There's a time and a place to use it as a tool yeah. to be productive and successful. And so give those kids the minutes they need to practice those things. Give them a little bit of breathing room to make mistakes. They might get distracted. Maybe you're, maybe the, the, the experience that they're in isn't so hot and awesome and, you know, they have to work through it. Like, and, and they, they might feel a pull with technology for sure, but th to, to go do something and be distracted, but then that's where you come over and it's a teaching moment, right? Like, okay, um, is this, you, you got distracted how is that serving you? Is that really helping you meet your goals? You know, those sorts of reflective questions, it, it'd be okay. It'd be okay. And we, you and I, we, everybody sort of loses attention and, and it's how do you pull yourself back um, afterwards? So Exactly. And getting that practice to pull yourself back. I also think of it like mindfulness, like being in the present moment. Mm. Like it's really hard without even technology. Let's say you don't have any technology in front of you. If you're not, consciously getting used to being in the present moment and truly focusing on what's happening around you, then yeah, you're, you're going on autopilot. You're thinking about the future or you're thinking about the past of what has happened to you. You're not thinking about what's happening in this moment and really listening or paying attention in any way. Yeah. A hundred percent. And again, that's okay. But now it's strategies to pull yourself back, right? Yep. And that's why social emotional learning to me is also a huge component of our new of our new education system, if we have to say it like that, that on top of it being uh, aware of oneself and how to function in the environments that we're going to have to function, but also allowing ourselves to have like less anxiety, less stress because we are being in the present moment and we're being as productive as possible. So, <laughs> and I'm going on a rant, sorry. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. So uh, my next question is how many, uh, many know about the Americans with Disabilities Act and how it can help people with disabilities get needed accommodation 
but what could uh, what could be improved to help transition youth get technology accommodations? Hmm. Yeah, this is an excellent question too, right? Because the reason that these law the law exists, the ADA, is to um, sort of force, I guess, uh, guide. I would hope in today's day and age that we have that is the the law is just it doesn't need to be pulled out. Like it's just your edu your your employer wants to provide the necessary tools to help you do the best job you can possibly do because it benefits both the employer and the employee. Right. Uh, but it, certainly when these, these laws were written, that was not the case, you know, and if, um, sadly, if, if there was ever a lawyer to listen, they'd be like, Oh, there's probably lots of cases that Chris, you don't know about and Brian, you don't know about that. We have to pull out with employers that are not doing what's right. Um, but uh, it really behooves everybody to provide the accommodations. So what can we do from an early age is uh, to help transition the youth into kind of learning these technologies. Um, and I would say is one helping them. So I think the first thing is if we design the instruction where there is um, these options that they can choose about how they'd like best to receive the content and express themselves back that they know the content and understand the skills. If we design these experiences, right, uh, in an educational setting where you have all these options, when you go to the workplace setting, then you would maybe need to the, the carry over those options, right? So again, uh, a great example here is I really need my Mac. How can we make my Mac work for me, right? So providing these options. But chances are a lot of the employers today did not grow up in a universally designed experience. They're still not, right? It's still a growing thing. Um, so I guess to just make it a concise answer is as we as this new way of doing education, like you said, sort of this new educational model and providing these options continues to flourish, um, we want to have those same sort of things. <laughs> those people will those people will become employers and they will create environments that they understand they need flexibility. And I think you can see some cases of that. Like uh, a classic case we hear all the time is Google, um, where it's like, uh, you can work the flexible hours. You can have the 20% time where there's this task you have to work on a lot of time, but then there's your passion project 20% of the time. Like um, the workspace isn't, you have to sit and everybody sits in the same cubicle, but there's different flexibility designed in the workspace. So I think as, uh, as we've grown as a society, we're seeing more companies move towards, towards less Everyone has to do the same thing, follow the same process. Instead, it's moved to, we all have the same goal. How you get there can be flexible, you know? So I feel like that's 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 the move. Yeah. And I know it's like, you're right, though. There, It, it is slowly but surely becoming a UDL kind of thing. And you're right. I mean, especially even now, like this push for more um, uh, remote work. Mm -hmm. And how that's playing a role for more people with disabilities to be able to work who used to not be able to because of all the physical and emotional and health risks of even just trying to utilize transportation that they may have or may not have. That that barrier is gone almost with this model that I'm like you and I are on right now, talking to one another, working on something virtually. <laughs> it's amazing. 
A hundred percent. I could not agree more. I, from a student standpoint and from an adult standpoint, uh, one of the questions I ask every educator since the pandemic is during the d time of emergency distance learning, right? So March uh, 2000, what, uh, March 2020, right? Uh, right? Right. When everything started shutting down. Um, and then till June, we went to emergency distance learning. And I ask, do you know any students that did better? any learners that actually did better. And like, everyone's like, yeah, actually there were some kids. And now today we have virtual learning options in many school districts have virtual learning options. And we've seen the enrollment there skyrocket because there's kids yeah. like, right. I, I, I don't have to go to that place where it's socially awkward or um, whatever the reason. It could be a billion reasons why it's yeah. a structured environment and at home. I'm more struck. I get more flexible. I can do my work when I want. I don't have to, for some reason, I have to do science at exactly 8 a.m., but maybe I really feel better about doing science at 10 a.m., so I'm going to get my science work done then. Again, flexibility in mind. And then the same thing we are talking about with adults, how many people had to spend so much more energy, money, time for, and this, again, is sort of a the ableism built into society is like, yeah, just take the bus, right? Well, for me, that's not that big of a deal, but for somebody else, that could be lots more time. You know, like for me to get to work, it might be 20 minutes, but for somebody else who lives the exact same distance from it, that's from work, it might be 40, 50, 60, because there's so many more things they might have to do to get there. So why not provide this remote option for people if they can still get their work done? And oh, by the way, didn't the pandemic prove that our work still got done? <laughs> like, like so many places still did a great job, right? So yep. let's give them that option. Well, you know what? I see this even personally now. Like, I mean, when I first started college, yeah, I wanted the traditional. I didn't know anything else. It didn't really exist quite yet. I'm, I'm that old. <laughs> but uh, I mean, what was it? Distance learning wasn't what it was now. And I remember the tail end of going to college, being introduced to more online instruction. And I think at the time I was using like Blackboard as the LMS that my university was using. And it was kind of a scary thing because it was like, it was hard to navigate. I really haven't had any experience with it. And to get my accommodations was a little harder too talking to the university and like trying to get them to understand I needed more time on a test and how to make that happen. It was very archaic, but now, like now that I'm doing my master's and I'm doing it completely online <laughs> and we're, I'm using blackboard again, but I've also had experience with canvas. I've also had experience with Elsevier. I've had these experiences of other LMS or uh, learning management systems that I need I don't feel as scared about it now. And it's like nothing jumping on. Do I have a perfect day every day online? Definitely not. Sure. But I've learned how to overcome and I've learned how to find the accommodation or make the technology do what I needed to do. And it's great. <laughs> well, yeah. And th the technology back in those days when Blackboard first came out, a lot of the technology was really, you think about it as tier three, like only people with disabilities who advocated for themselves got it. But now read and write, for instance, read and write is a great example. It's free. Like anybody can have it. Now, not all the premium features, they got to make money somehow, but for uh, the text to speech is certainly free. Right. And so there's stuff like that, that is just available now to everybody. So why wouldn't, why, what the technology has really helped support um, 
there's been a there's been a move that technology that starts with people with disabilities often blossoms to be something that's just used by everybody else. You know. Yeah. Oh, look at Texas. I mean, uh, voice to text. I mean, it yeah. was unheard of that you'd see all these people talking to their phones, sending text text messages with their voice. And it was like, that was like a high tech thing. It had special software and now it's built in everywhere. And it's wonderful because it makes life a lot easier. Yeah, a lot faster. The spelling goes up. You don't have to think about, did you spell it? Yeah, so many, so, it's so awesome, right? Yeah. Well, I have one last question. I think we've already kind of hit on it many times already, but I'm gonna just get it out there. How can technology accommodations help all people with disabilities? Yeah. Well, okay, the the way it can be helpful is if companies really embrace the fact that they, if they design their uh, technology with people with disabilities in mind, if the employers uh, understand that people with disabilities are a are going to help them innovate because they're going to, uh, in the same way that diversifying your population in any way helps you innovate. Because when you have sort of a, um, a everybody's the same, you can't have the same, you can't break out of those ideas, right? So bringing people back from diverse, bringing people in from diverse backgrounds helps you innovate. And people with disabilities, certainly it might be one of those people that can help you innovate because they might have different technology experience than other people. They might have different, they certainly might have different lived experience than other people. So that helps your company, um, one, innovate, but two, become more inclusive and potentially sell your product to more people, right? And then the same thing with educators is um, uh, realizing that that triangle moves it moves over time. So st- where can I design my educational experience of the people with disabilities in mind? Uh, meaning many general ed teachers will get uh, well, all general teachers will get some sort of IEP for the student with disabilities in their class. They'll look at those accommodations and all they have to do is say, oh, these are the accommodations on the IEP. How can I use those accommodations to design my experience for everybody? If they ask that question, they can really really transform the educational experience for everybody and not leave kids out, really make it more designed for everybody. And then it just follows follows the bubble as, they, as those kids understand what the design look, looks like. They become employers and employees and they look, they expect and look for more flexible design. So, and the technology just, just helps you do that. Yeah. Well, what I mean, I've seen that, especially with like, uh, like PDF files, for example. I mean, yes, snap and read can read it right away, but it also has to be enabled mm-hmm. and have the OCR run through it to actually be accessible for it to be read out loud. And that's still something I'm like, some people think they're still providing an accommodation by just providing a PDF of that digital content, but they don't realize there's an extra step that their software has to run to truly make it accessible. And it's just getting more people aware of that extra step so that all PDFs almost in a sense have that a bit built in already. Yeah. And you know, Brian, what you're talking about there is accessibility, right? And having uh, educators and uh, employers sort of understanding the accessibility of what they're putting out there in the world. And in today's day and age, there are accessibility checkers. You could hire somebody to check it for accessibility and an accessibility uh, compliance officer, if you will, you know, which again would be 
right up the alley for maybe somebody who has used this technology, someone who's blind could check things to make sure that your stuff, it works with screen reading. So there's, there's, there's really lots of options to make sure the content that you're putting out there is accessible. Yeah. Well, those are all the questions I have. I don't know. I mean, I've been asking all the questions. You have any questions to wrap it up for me or <laughs> I don't know. Well, let me ask you this, Brian, in your neck of the woods, are you doing anything with computer science and coding? Because I feel like this is a a, a burgeoning field that a lot of people with disabilities, because this is uh, maybe one of the other challenges I find from the school district to transition is this lack of presuming potential. Oh, that kid, he's got Down syndrome. He could never learn how to code or, you know, and they people would never say that out loud, but really that's maybe what's going on in the back of their mind. And that's sort of the myth that I want to bust down is that, coding is for everybody. It's really not that hard. Um, there's there's way to make it accessible for people with um, with all sorts of different disabilities. And this could, and it could with the remote work, a lot of people uh, were coding from home. And that was sort of an, those companies had um, work from work from home policies, IT companies had work from home policies. Uh, yeah, policies before the pandemic. So I feel like there's a natural bridge there for some people uh, that could work in the computer science field, work in coding, learn those skills. If we could just presume that we could teach them at an earlier age, you know, are you are you seeing anything like that in your neck of the woods? You know, th there are some opportunities that have come about, but I am still seeing a lot of ableism happening, and I'm seeing a lot of people still. Thinking of the uh, of the old way of thinking of the the, the, the I'm going to call it the five F's for employment in regards to food, filth, flowers, and folding, and I can't even remember the last F because it's just so appalling that yeah. that. But we're still thinking that mindset, and so I think we're still working towards really using a person centered approach to really helping drive transition at all grade levels. And we're implementing things currently right now. And I think there are some programs. I know, um, oh, what's the one? Girls That Code, yeah. I think is one. Our school district is embracing that and has a couple sites going through. Um, we have a couple different departments that kind of handle different pieces of technology. So we have a UDL team that, that implements UDL like Snap and Read and CoWriter and the Word Bank and all of those kinds of things that are across all technologies. And they're putting on trainings for all teachers, both special ed and general ed. And then we also have, um, it's called EdTech. And so we have a team of educator, uh, educators and technology people working together to teach teachers about all the different technologies and all the tools out there from using Google Classroom to using even the basic functions of um, like, um, what is it, Screencastify and how to use those kind of things to help like implement videos and implement things in the classroom so that all learners are getting their needs met from like a Bloom taxonomy kind of approach of things. Yeah, that's exciting. That's exactly how it works in my neck of the woods. Uh, and we, uh, over the years, like, the, uh, a great example is read and write for Google Chrome that started out with the uh, assistive technology people. And we still do trainings on it. We still do um, awareness level trainings and integration trainings, but 
so many more of our ed tech folks have just been like, wait, this is just a, a, it's a strategy available or it's a tool or resource available to everybody. I, I can adopt that. I can learn it. Or we'll do a passing of the baton. Like, why don't I do this classroom and you be there? And then next time you do it, because now you'll know it, you know? Um, so yeah. it's really exciting to see technology move that way. Um, yeah. You, you, one other thing I wanted to mention there before we get off, though, about the transition and what we were talking about with those the, those different apps, you know? Something, just a conversation I was having today is about the coffee cart, right? So how many students with disabilities are are working on a coffee cart? And what the coffee cart really turns into is maybe the paraprofessionals selling coffee to the teachers, you know? And I wonder what kind of skills are really being taught. And what I really wonder is the opportunity cost. Like if you're working on the coffee cart for an hour, then what are you not doing? You know what I mean? And I feel like those are the questions we have to ask when we're thinking about transition. Well, the biggest thing with that coffee cart, because we 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 uh we have this one happening too, and we've mm -hmm. had to like try to get people to understand like it's not real, <laughs> like you can't make fake employment. Yeah, you can do all the fake stuff you want to kind of expose students to ideas about employment, and if that's shredding, if that's coffee cart, if that's recycling, if it's whatever it is, but we have to think beyond that to really see what's going on in our communities mm -hmm. in regards to employment, really looking at like, if, even if that's going to the labor department, wherever your one, your career one stop, wherever your state is and what they call themselves because mm -hmm. they change their names and keep them all different. It just drives me nuts, but like looking at them and they track the labor market so closely to really meet the needs of employment for each state community and how and what their needs really are really looking at that data and looking at what jobs are truly brightened and have a bright future and are growing so rapidly and how can we connect all students not just with disabilities but all students to have industry standard certificates or industry standard working knowledge to jump into those careers right away after graduating high school so that maybe they, if they don't want to go to college, they don't have to, or they could do more on the job training and get certifications and then maybe go to college and think about it. It's like, I, I think we're just pigeonholing everybody into mm -hmm. something. If it's everyone has to go to college, even if you don't want to, or everyone needs to do a trade, even though we don't even have any trades in the high schools as much as we used to. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you want to go to college. <laughs> or yeah, or maybe yeah, right. you do want to go to college and you're being told, no, you can't go to college. Yeah. I mean, exactly. that was my case. I mean, most of my life, people told me I couldn't go to college and I did. And now I'm getting my master's and it's like, yeah, it's going good. Yeah. That's awesome, Brian. That's all right, Brian. I've got one last question. I'm sorry. I got to squeeze it in. Okay. Are you doing anything with VR? Um, meaning virtual reality, that seems to be such a natural fit for job training and like, okay, we can go into this virtual environment, we can practice, you know, uh, practice the interaction with somebody or practice moving things around. Have you played with that at all or seen anything like that? I've seen it, but I haven't actually, we haven't actually implemented anything in that area. I do think that's one area that we probably could easily start exposing students to more virtual reality kinds of things. We have, um, what is it? I know some of my school district, it's all site-based, so it's hard to say who's using what, but there is a job shadowing, virtual job shadowing program that some schools are using 
to like that that's using video modeling and exposure to like like almost like informational interview information that has been gathered and they kind of talk like they get to see videos and they get to kind of interact in some way uh-huh. on this online platform to kind of see different job opportunities that might match their career interests that they've taken like an interest inventory with or something. I've totally seen those. So I, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like you answer some questions, watch some videos, and then answer some more questions. It's like a tree helping you decide where your interests might lie. Cause it's another thing. Kids is like, Hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, let's not ask that question anymore. Let's ask, what do you want? What problems do you want to solve? And then, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Right. So let's look at all these different options to help you help you choose. Yeah. That's well, exciting. I even have, um, what's it called? I have a Google, a, a Google doc that ha- it's like, it, it's partly filled out on like the, the student would partly fill it out. It, it, it could be uploaded to the Google classroom and then it could be assigned to each student. But within the doc, what someone did and they shared it with me, is there are links to all these different jobs and the links take you to different videos on YouTube and all over the place. And even uh, the career one stop had all these videos. So some of them are connected in. So they're, they're, they're very robust videos about all these different jobs. And even I played with it and looked at some of the agricultural jobs and some of the things, it was just blew my mind. It's like, I, I could sit there for hours just learning about jobs. Yes. But I mean, yes. for a student who's, narrowed down that they're interested in agriculture, they're interested in AV, and they're interested in maybe a business management or something. And being able to watch videos just in those three career clusters and kind of figure out what they're interested in just by watching a bunch of videos is kind of a cool way of doing it too. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that is so awesome because then they have some ideas and then they can go back and we as educators can help them with other resources podcasting, I'm sure, um, lots of resources on how to say, okay, well, okay, you seem to be interested in this. Let's go learn more about it and make sure that's where you want to go. Yeah. Well, listen, Brian, this was awesome. I hope this is what you needed for your class. If we didn't, I didn't take you on too many tangents. <laughs> I think we, we, we stayed focused. I think we did good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Well, listen, if you ever need anything else, let me know. Um, yeah. and good luck with your, uh, with your masters and everything else. Stay in touch. All right. right, will do. All right. Thanks, Brian. Uh, Bye. Bye Bye-bye.